So our guest today is Brad Culifer. And so Brad is a good friend of RLS. Um, we are really excited to have him here talking with us today. So I am going to hand the floor over to him. He does have a presentation he's going to share. So Brad, if you wouldn't mind, just tell us a little bit about yourself before we hop in the presentation. Yeah, absolutely. Nice to meet you guys. Some fantastic questions and points you've kind of hit on. Uh, a little bit about me, and we'll kind of go over to the slides too, but uh, I'm in the finance world. I've been in the finance world for about 20 years. Um, but uh, First and foremost, I, I'm an investor myself, so I've got over 200 units, uh, $130 million balance sheet, you know, 190-ish long-term rentals, 25 short-term rentals, uh, licensed loan officer since 2003. I've uh, served every uh, at every level you possibly could. I went to a bank, I was a CEO, started the mortgage division, ran it to an $80 million a month run rate in 18 months. Still own about 2.5% of the bank, but just a small SSB. So I understand finance from kind of top down, to be honest. Uh, and since I'm in it, uh, Charlie had some great points. All of you had some great points that basically touched on uh, a little bit earlier. There's always different seasons and things shift. And so uh, at one point, I did a ton of, you know, regular conventional loans for myself, trying to get rates. And then it came down to ease and, you know, not having to recreate the wheel or having everything hit my credit report. And then it came down to preservation of capital. And so I think one loan or one finance situation is never a fit all type thing. It's each and every individual investor, team, company, families, uh, personal position that they're in. And it's my job to help structure uh, or at least advise uh, on you know what I think is best. So everybody's got a different time and place, but I think you guys have some fantastic uh, thoughts that you've shared thus far. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to getting to know you a little bit better and kind of Say about what I do and hopefully I can help some people out and learn along the way. So I'll kind of start uh, in a little bit more to so just some of the stuff. So I've been a licensed loan officer since 2003, licensed realtor as well since 2006. I don't practice real estate for anyone other than myself, but I get it in terms of MLS, ARV is just comps, um, where we're listing our, where we're finding our list prices for our regular rentals. Uh, if in my fix and flip days, um, I've done uh, myself probably 300 renovations or new builds, participated in probably 100 owner finance loans, uh, a couple million in notes receivable where I bought a, you know, a house with paper, kind of like what you guys were talking about, owner finance. I did a lot of subject to where I would go buy the house, take it subject to their existing financing. Uh, you know, obviously get it titled over, take care of all liens except the main lien that was on there. And uh, at that point, either put the house in a service in the rental portfolio, fix it up and sell it. Or sometimes I uh, fixed it up, sold it, and I took the note rating, which I acquired the house in the paper for. Maybe I got a 3% on that, but I sold it over finance for an 8 or 9% on a full 30-year term. So lots of ways to skin a cat. It's a little bit of my background. I'll kind of go into the um, PowerPoint presentation. I'm not a great PowerPoint guy, so bear with me if there's lack of luster on it, uh, but I love the Q&A part and everything else. This on my side, do I just share my screen, Megan? Can y'all see my screen with the uh, using real estate and debt to build wealth? Yep. yep. You're good to go. All right. Um, using real estate and debt to build wealth. Uh, I kind of gave you a little background on most of my stuff. Uh, somebody else writes this stuff for me, so Anyways, I've been in the banking industry for the last 19 years, numerous positions from an officer, several executive roles, served as CEO, founder of bank. I have an investor, mentor, athlete, leader dedicated to making those around me better. Proud veteran, I served uh, four years in the Army, late 90s, and I also have four children. Uh, 15 months old, 15 years old, 16 years old, and 22 years old. So I've got quite the gamut. <laughs> um, loan programs. 
there's a, there's a couple and you guys kind of hit on them. So there's conventional and I'll kind of, you know, add my little ad libs as we go. So conventional is obviously a Fannie Freddie, um, you know, guaranteed loan, not in terms of government guaranteed, but, you know, through an AU, automated underwriting approval, lots, lots of liquidity, you can borrow up to, you can have up to 10 loans, uh, as low as 3% down payment on some conventionals. Um, it's good. It's where you go for in the beginning to get uh, your first ones, in my opinion, and get low down payments, uh, great rates, 30-year fixed, which a lot of times don't appear in the commercial market. So I think there's a time and place for everything. Um, Non-QM, which is just non-qualified mortgage, those can be you know, bank statement loans. Um, they kind of cross over into commercial DSCR debt service coverage ratios, those kind of things. Uh, we've got other programs that can go on like just 1099s, regular personal bank statements, uh, business bank statements, those kind of things. So non-QM, commercial, and DSCR really run all pretty close in my opinion. Now, commercial is the tightest of all of them in, in terms of guidelines. A lot of, a lot of lenders want to see, you know, 1.25%, you know, DSCR, and we can kind of go into that a little bit later if we need to break down what that means and everything, and then they'll put vacancy factors and everything else in there. Um, we've got a lot of DSCR programs that'll allow down to 0.6, and we have some that don't have any at all. So if we're doing short-term or corporate type rentals, we're going to go off what's on air dna which provides a lot higher probably three to five times regular rent rates just for analyzation of income um, to kind of get into those properties the difference in my opinion uh well, the blatant difference between commercial and dscr loans are they don't qualify you personally they're using the um the property itself to qualify um, so it's not going off of your income or your job or anything like that. It's simply going off of uh, the income earning opportunity or the past uh, financials in, what, in which the property is actually earned. Then there's hard money and then fix and flip loans. Uh, I think they have a purpose. I, I closed on one yesterday, actually, it just funded today. I uh, bought it for 2.5 million. Um, I did about, a, I got 828,000 for rehab. Uh, it appraised at 4.4 million in, in what's called an ARV value. And the reason why I did that is I've tied up so much money over the years with just a traditional 20% down product and then rehabbing every loan out of pocket. So for instance, I started going down this loan. This is my first one I actually did like this. I've done tons for clients, but being a finance guy, a lot of times it was hard to put the pen to the paper and see how much I was going to, how much more I was going to pay in interest, how much more I was going to pay in points, how much more I was going to pay to redo the loan and redo a title policy, you know, another point or so to get it done into the, the next mortgage. Um, but the fact is on this one, 2.5828 for rehab. Um, I put $402,000 down to purchase that property and have an 828 rehab. So at the end of the day, I got a property that will be worth, you know, four two, four four when it's said and done. And I only put four hundred thousand into it. I've got enough money for a pool, all my renovations. I'm also a contractor and built, so I GC every one of these projects. So I kind of know it from soup to nuts. I don't do the engineering or architecture, but I run all the stuff. So mechanical, plumbing, sheetrock, you know, trim guys, cabinetry, quartz, uh, plumbers. Um, choosing the architects and engineers, approving the design, picking all layouts of all the tiles, um, all the paint colors, all the finishes, all the specs, I do the budget. So I really am pretty well-rounded in all of it. So I think hard money for this particular one, you know, we've got a program that worked well, 7.99 with two points. Not bad at all. I got to put down 10% on the project, 
Uh, this one ended up because of the loan amount, I ended up more around 12, 12 and a half percent, but I got to finance all of my, um, all of my renovation. So had I done that conventionally, I would have put down 20%, which most lenders are wanting 25% when you start to get to that size, but I would have put down 20%, which would have been 500 grand. And then I would have put another 800 in a construction. I would have been out of pocket 1.3 million instead of being out of pocket 400,000. And so what that allows me to do is kind of rinse and repeat going to, you know, more houses. What I've kind of got it down to is every 500,000, I'm able to create about $30,000 a month in uh, revenue. So if I can get 1.4, you know, I need 1.5 to create 90,000 a month in rents as opposed to putting it all into one property. So for me, it's about leverage. Um, more properties that I can acquire safely with some skin in the game that operate, that ratio, and that cover debt, more importantly, um, the more I've gotten depreciation and mortgage interest, property taxes, and the balance sheet continues to grow. Loan programs in a, in a nutshell. There's more, obviously, in kind of those, but I wanted to kind of give at least a summary. Property types. Um, there's obviously more of these. It's just very basic to start the conversation. Single-family residences. There's a couple different buckets that we can put those into when we classify what we're doing with them. And this is all just talking about investment because obviously there's a primary residence, there's a second home. I didn't really go into that stuff. So for my purposes here in illustration, it was based off an investor's mindset. So single family residents, we've got a few categories that I bucket them into myself. And that is uh, short-term rentals, which I consider like a vacation rental, uh, less than 30 days, weekends, you know, two, three, seven days, whatever. Long-term rentals, which I consider personally 12 months or more. And then what's gotten really popular, you know, every, every state's different. I'm calling, we're I'm on this call out of Austin, Texas. In Texas, we've gotten really lucky. <laughs> That's a lot of what it is, a lot of what I'm even talking. I've got a lot of experience, but in terms of what the balance sheet looks like and the equity and the ability to kind of do all these deals, got really lucky. I mean, I've been an avid investor who every time I had a certain amount of money, you, instead of going buying new clothes or anything else, it was recapping, pushing the capital into the next project, whatever it is. But point being, we, we're lucky in terms of we've got a robust job market and people to visit. So corporate rentals are really big here. Corporate rentals are just staged houses that have all the furniture and necessities that are 30 days to six months and generally command about a 3X what a traditional uh, rental would here. So if you've got a rental that would get 3,000, generally you get about 9,000 a month for a furnished rental, which we would classify as corporate rental. Another property type, multifamily. When it's one to four, it falls inside residential. When it's over four, it falls into, you know, like commercial type loan. Uh, so apartment loans, um, pretty much anything multifamily. Commercial, there's tons of different types of commercial. There's commercial buildings, um, owner-occupied, non-owner-occupied, strip centers, mixed use. Uh, so a multitude of those. And then there's, you know, raw land. Uh, I think there's a, I've got a little bit of every single one of these. I definitely am, uh, I lean more towards single family residences. Doesn't mean I'm right. It's just where my, my comfort is. Uh, I, I wish I had a little bit more experience. I'm anxious to maybe meet somebody that's got some big multifamily experience, you know, a couple thousand units. And instead of buying a house or two at a time, even if they're a couple million dollar purchase prices, it, it'd be intriguing to run numbers and see how that looks when they're, you know, 102 unit apartment complexes on each one. So it doesn't mean I'm right. It just means what I, what I do, and these are obviously the different property types that we see a lot of. Um, in Texas, again, I'm just going back to Texas, and my wonderful assistant is the one that put this uh, deck together for us. So 38% um, of the housing units in Texas are occupied by renters. Pretty good. It means only 62% are owner or second home. Um, 
benefits of leveraging, why I love leverage, why I love loans, obviously it's what I have done for a living for a long, long time. But what I show people every day is, you know, I'll get the investor that says they want to pay cash a million bucks for something. And I can show them how to take that million bucks and buy five properties. And we've got increased buying power, higher, you know, ROI, um, all of those things, because you're leveraging that million dollars you have on five properties as opposed to one. You're also getting that taxable benefit of that magic paper loss of depreciation yearly on every single one of those. So leveraging benefits are increased buying power. Example giving, if you got a million, just a basic example, you can buy five houses instead of one in cash. Higher ROI, same thing, you've got five houses generating rents and all the tax benefits instead of one. Here's the one I love though. The one I love, you know, I, I haven't, I've never sold a rental property, which is crazy. Um, but I guess it's good, but I've never been able to make sense of it. Uh, and the reason why I say that is I've got a lot of properties that I bought for 30 and 50,000 that are now 300, you know, 400,000. And I've leveraged those to a 75% cash out piece. Now, the, the beautiful thing about that is it's non-taxable when it's debt. When you sell it, you've triggered a taxable event. Yes, it's you can long-term capital gains, which isn't a bad thing. That's the lowest tax rate most likely most of us will be in rather than our individual regular tax rates, but you've got to recapture depreciation, you lose your mortgage interest deduction, et cetera. So I look at it like this. When you sell a property, you start out with 100% of the money. I know every state is a little bit different, so I'm just going to say the way I look at it in Texas. In Texas, you got 6% to agents that you're paying. So I start out with 100 6% for agents, I'm down to 94. 1.5% for title and ancillary fees, I'm down to 92.5. Now, even if I'm in the 15% long-term capital gains, when I'm down to 77%, right? 92 minus 15, 77. And then you got to recapture your depreciation. So you can just assign something to it. Say it's 5%, whatever. Anyways, you're at 72% of overall what you originally sold it for. I just think, why would I want to do that when I can borrow 75% and never pay taxes on it and I never recapture the depreciation and I still have the mortgage interest deduction and everything else. So I love the borrowing and leveraging the debt as opposed to creating taxable events. Another instance that you can do, it's a little bit harder in hotter markets like this. Obviously, 1031s are a phenomenal tool to do that with it's just get you know it's challenging sometimes with identification of the property based on timelines and you know how fast properties are going uh and then there's always the tax deductible mortgage interest it's lovely um you know for now and for a long time it has been you know on any investment property 100 tax deductible one mortgage interest you know your homestead's got a cap now 750 um it, you could still be grandfathered into a million if your loan's older than when that code changed with irs but these are kind of all the benefits of leveraging that I see and like to utilize personally. That, and that's, yeah, I, I was hoping there'd be another slide because I felt like I was on a roll, but uh, <laughs> that's pretty much the basis of it. And what I wanted to do was uh, hopefully spend a little time individually to kind of drill down and answer um, maybe some specific questions. So more cater to what you're really wondering or wanting to know rather than kind of what I present. I still hope that makes sense.